0: subway sports talk dan 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 clear of the closing doors please all right here we go subway sports talk my name is peter kennedy and i am your host today joining me just one member for now of the SST Brain Trust. It might be the first ever SST Brain Trust episode where I'm not just having, you know, the baseball guys, Andrew and Alec, not just having the NBA Outsiders, uh, Duffy, Kyle, Frank, and Andrew. Another Andrew. There's two Andrews now. Right now, I'm just with one, but later on, we'll be talking hoops with the NBA Outsiders as well. But for now, one of the designated hitters, the lone DH today, Andrew Kalania. What's up, man?
1: What's up?
0: You know, I don't know what's up. With the Mets and the Yankees right now, there's a lot of things that are up with them, it's, and it's not their win column. Uh, no. It's been pretty rough out here. Let me ask you this: before we get into the weeds of anything, how are you holding up with it? Because the Yankees just lost seven in a row before they played the Mets over the weekend, uh, and it's, now they're not looking good as we speak right now. Are you okay?
1: Uh, doing doing okay is is fine. Just uh, just the realities of the season have you know kind of kind of hit us hard. A little bit, you know. I don't think any team is as good as they are when they're doing when they're playing very well. But they're definitely and they're definitely not as bad as the uh, you know as they're playing right now. But it's it's pretty grim. Every single move that Aaron Boone's been making has been horrendous. Every every everything that can go wrong is possibly wrong. They get in, bit by injury bugs. The relievers are garbage. Uh, people not hitting in the clutch it's just it's been it hasn't been a good couple weeks uh for the yankees so far
0: and uh, tell me how you really feel no but uh, you obviously you feel good enough to at least show your face or show your voice on this podcast we're missing alec Argento right now he's under the weather i'm not sure if he's actually sick or you know he just turned like a a year older his birthday was this week if he's just Mm -hmm. getting old but he's not even doing well enough to come here and show his voice show his face it's rough out here
1: Yeah, you saw that uh that Garrett Cole's leading Major League Baseball and home runs given up, and he oh. just started uncontrollably vomiting, and uh, could not make it this evening.
0: <laughs> well, over in the other side of New York and in, in Queens, it's not much better uh, for the Metropolitans, where they they seem to just not get out of their own way as well, and that's more normal, I guess, for the Mets and Mets fans yeah. to to encounter to experience. But between the bullpen, uh, which I heard a stat today, Jacob DeGrom right before he blew it for himself, they said about how he has uh, 31 uh, games where he left with the lead and the bullpen has blown it, right? And then he blew it yep. for himself, actually, in this specific case. But uh, that's just so classic. But not even talking about Jacob deGrom, and we all obviously all know the frustration uh, of what happens in his starts from time to time or most of the time. All these other starters can't do anything, and it's brutal to watch. The bullpen is is struggling, and there's guys – on the team that are hitting, there are individuals that are hitting. We're going to get deeper into this, but they're not hitting as a team. They're not clutch, and, and it's been really frustrating to try to watch them close a game. And we oh. saw it head-to-head, Mets versus Yankees this past weekend, uh, and we'll get into it. But Andrew, I want to ask you first before – I mean, actually not before. This is it. This is the start. Before we get into that, I mentioned Alec Argento is not here. Uh We mm-hmm. do have – Duffy and Kyle coming in later in the pod to talk hoops. We have crazy performances from Jamal Murray and the Nuggets uh, to force a Game 7 in that series. Now we got the Heat and Bucks playing. Heat are playing super tight right now. Game will be over by the time I talk to Duffy and Kyle. And then also Rockets Thunder, amongst other things in basketball. A lot of exciting stuff. So, Andrew, can you update the Subway Sports Talk listeners now? Because we spoke about the extended playoff Uh, you know, the amount of teams that make the playoffs and the odds in the favor of the Yankees and even the Mets bet just better chances to make the playoffs. Obviously there's more spots, but the confidence has waned a bit since we last spoke. So can you give us a rundown of of what's happened since then? And these playoff odds updated.
1: Yeah, well, the Yankees still, you know, they're still in the 99 percentile for for playoff odds to actually make the playoffs. But unfortunately, when they get they had that three game series against the Rays where they got swept, they had a division odds uh, of around 78 percent to win the division and dropped after that sweep to 48 uh, percent via fan playoff odds, which is, is which is insane. And I mean, winning the division doesn't really mean much now because everyone's going to play a three-game playoff so like the incentive once they made the expanded playoffs the or, again really for the yankees it's all really about just staying healthy or trying to stay as healthy as they possibly can and be healthy for the playoffs and make your run then so i think that's part of the reason why they also didn't make a move today they don't they don't tend to overpay but uh yeah the the for them it, it's not really about you know making the playoffs of just the, the odds for winning the division just really sle- just really just just took a tank and for the Mets, you know, they're kind of holding on for dear life at the moment, playoff odds. Uh currently I think it's uh, uh 40 49 to make the play so you're still at a coin flip you could still probably I think they're only like a half game out of the eighth spot at the moment so that there's still there's still some hope but again they're they're playing so inconsistent and their bullpen is just Begging to give away games. And, and unfortunately, uh Seth Lugo, their best pitcher, uh, best pitcher of the pen, he's now moved into the rotation, who's pitching very well out of the rotation because they desperately need a starter. But now you took away that, that endgame weapon, and now you're left with Diaz and Familia, and Batanzas just hit the IL, and Justin Wilson. So it's it's not looking great uh, on either end for the Mets.
0: Yeah, it, it, the Lugo point is very interesting because it becomes a debate on whether you should – value one start out of five or possibly two or three appearances out of five. Um, Cause it seems like he pitches all the time anyway. Yeah. But when you look at how bad the rotation's been, you need all the help you can get. Uh, and as I said to you before we started recording, the Mets have one and a half pitchers. I say the half because Peterson just was in and out of, of the rotation for a minute with injury, one and a half pitchers keeping them in games consistently. And that is a bad recipe to win. Uh, but it is inspiring to hear that, you know, the 49% chance of making the playoffs still exists because Like you said to me before we started recording, the Mets have guys who are hitting right now. They don't have, like, guys who are just straight-up slumping. They just can't get clutch, and based off of odds and based off of the way uh, baseball is looked at, talked about, coached about, uh, you know, GMed about now, Mm -hmm. you do expect regression to mean, and they've been so bad with runners in scoring position. You imagine that this will flip at some point, but there isn't much hope other than hoping the odds will go in your favor at some point.
1: Yeah, so uh, so I, I, have a, I have a little bit of a stat here. So since you guys last recorded on, I think it was like August 11th or something like that, when uh, unfortunately I, I wasn't able to join you guys. So the Mets uh, in losses, they are, they are approximately three and 44th runners in scoring position in all of their losses, which is incredible. Like you, like you, even if even you flipped the coin and just a, even you added like eight, you know, a, a couple of hits here and there, you know, that would have changed the outcome because their their run differential. You know, they weren't losing by that. All their, all the games were relatively close. So, you know, uh, a hit here or there. And, you know, they would have been, you know, I think they would have been in uh, solidly in second place at the moment because nobody else is running away with the division at the moment. It's just the Braves and everybody else who's just so mediocre to, to, to bad at the moment. Uh, and, you know, they, they have an incredible offense. Dom Smith's hitting, Dom Smith's great. Oh, what Loved a what a, guy. What, what a guy, what a guy, what a guy. JD Davis, Cano turning into, just turning back the clock. Uh, uh, Conforto and Nimo, all these guys are just just hitting the crap out of the ball it's and it's 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 all it, I got to watch it for five games it was you know unfortunately as a Yankee fan it wasn't great to watch but they they can hit they, they have a legitimately uh, a great lineup and I think it's the number two lineup in all of baseball behind the Yankees
0: yeah if you took out Billy Hamilton's you know 25 yeah. at bats. Maybe they'd be ahead of the Yankees, but he's batting no 45 <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. And the catchers, catchers haven't been hitting as well, as well, so that's actually good that they are able to pick up uh, Robinson Torino's. Yeah, and we'll, uh, we will yeah, get into the,
0: into the deadline stuff uh, for the Mets and what they did do, and then obviously what the Yankees didn't do. Uh, but quickly on this Mets lineup, how often would you expect a team to have three guys batting over 300, over 400 on-base percentage, just feel like they can't get anything done? It's really strange. Like you said, Cano, Smith, and Conforto being the leaders of this lineup right now. You know, And
1: nobody's hitting. Nobody's hitting, nobody's hitting in the clutch. Yeah, That's, and,
0: uh, and the home runs aren't particularly there for them. I mean, they got a bunch of guys meddling with like the 4-7 to seven range, uh, but mm-hmm. they don't have a dude, you know, like Aaron Judge was doing before he got hurt, who was kind of mm-hmm. consistently just producing runs based off of power. That's something they yeah. are definitely missing. Um, yeah. But – I don't, I don't know. It, it's just so weird to watch a team for you know nine innings and be like, oh, bunch of great at-bats here. Why is nothing yeah. happening? So <laughs> let me ask you about the NL, um, the NL East here, though, because you just brought it up. It's very interesting. So we all thought this was a really strong division, right? We thought the Mets had a chance, not a great chance, but a nice chance to compete for the division, if not really compete for wild cards, which obviously they still can. But looking yeah. at that division as a whole, did we take... Strong mediocrity for really, really great division, or is there just this weirdness with this entire season that no one seems to really be strive like striding the way the Padres may be at some points. The Dodgers have been. Uh, is there more? Is it, basically my question is, is it more of the fact that they're all not as good as we thought? Or that the season is just that much weirder.
1: I, I I think it's I think it's a sample size thing, honestly. Because you know, again, you're talking about the defending champion Nationals. You're talking about the Phillies, who, uh, you know, they they improved over the off season. They got guys that again, you know, anything can happen in these sixty games. Literally anything can happen. So again, you're seeing you're seeing teams just, you know, the Marlins are in second place right now. They're five and hundred. They're in second place. I mean, they're a playoff team. They're like the, they're like the five. Like they're, what? Yeah, they're the they're like the five C in the NL right now which is crazy, you know? So again, if you, if this, this season would continue out over 162, I think the, the teams that are supposed to be there are going to be there. That's, that's, that's the whole thing about baseball. The teams, the teams that have the talent will always separate themselves, but you know, again, 60 games, there's so much, there's so much that can happen. So uh, I, I honestly think it's a sample size thing rather than the teams not being as good as they are. Cause there's no way that Washington nationals are a 12 and 19 team. They're not, they're just not right. You know?
0: And also it comes down to the fact, like, you know, what team handles the adversity better, what type of players are pressing injuries. because it's so, yeah, injuries, all this stuff really comes into play. And the Marlins yeah. with this weird situation where they missed, how many games were they behind before they started playing again? Like six or seven games behind. Yeah. And now yeah. they're, they're like, they, they got off to a good start, so it helped them and now they're rolling and it feels like they're in a position of power. It is very, yeah, they're, very, very they're, strange. They're
1: only, two, they're only two and a half games out of first place. Yeah, Two and uh, a half games at 500. Two and a half games
0: out. It's rather strange, but uh, can can you give me, before we move on to the Yan- Yankees and then deadline stuff, um, can you just give me a glimpse of hope, a, a path for the Mets to seemingly turn this around? Is it as is it simple as getting them to hit with runners in scoring position, or is there another thing that can happen here?
2: Well,
1: I I definitely think now that uh, South Luke was starting to get stretched out, and him, Peterson, and DeGrom can actually give the Mets a trio of starting pitchers that can actually keep them in games and not, absolutely blow them out of the water, you know, the way Walk and Porcell have been doing, basically they're out of the they're out of the game by the third the inning. You know, so I think those three guys can they can be the horses and actually keep them in games close enough where the offense that which is a great again, a great offense, best offense in the National League, second best offense in all of baseball, statistically by WRC plus, I, I think I think they they have to they, they'll be better. They, at least they have to be better. With running a scoring position, but they have the they have the start at least the starting pitching to do so. And at least the and, and another thing for the bullpen to not continue to do the thing that the Mets bullpen always seems to do again. What they did little uh, little against the Yankees on uh, was that that was that was Sunday when when they blew a five run lead with the yeah. two outs right. in the in the bottom of the seventh inning of the doubleheader. Two outs, two outs. The Yankees scored five runs. Yeah. Two outs. With two that outs. that was oh that God. was rough.
0: And uh, I mean, uh, I think another thing I can add to the way the Mets can actually turn this around and start to look really different uh, uh within this season is the two best hitters, the two people who we had the most trust in, mm-hmm. the most the highest expectation. McNeil, McNeil, and Alonso. Exactly, to keep this team afloat and keep them alive offensively, have not hit stride yet. And obviously nope. Alonzo's home run capabilities, it's something they need desperately to have those mm-hmm. instant runs created. So another part of this, you know, obviously Robbie will come down to earth a little bit. Maybe Dom might not actually. He could just be this no, good. We don't know. Great. No, he's great. Yeah, he's can, great. He's, Conforto bad, can keep every this up. the DH. Yeah, Go and if, if Pete Alonso can start putting the ball out of the park a little better, he has six home runs right now, that can be an instant game changer to put mm-hmm. their pitchers in better positions and, and really make it easier for them to convert leads to wins which is something that they really struggle with but
1: and you forgot i forgot one other thing man uh the todd frazier factor oh god okay the, the todd father he's back he's back baby uh, he's thumbs down won. thumbs down do the the hand thing whatever whatever the case may be he's gonna bring the clubhouse together he's gonna rally him to 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 win every game the rest of the season you know todd father, so put, it, put it in the books
0: it's so funny because he's a guy that pretty much everyone loves right like he's a really likable guy seemingly mm in the locker room as well. I'm talking about fans and teammates. Like, everyone yeah. seems to like this dude, yeah. but there's just like this really intense joke now with Mets fans and even Yankee fans cuz mm-hmm. he's from Jersey because of the picture with Jeter and all he this crap. <laughs> yeah. And and sneaky he hit 20 home runs for, for the Mets the last time he was mm-hmm. here and batted 250, which isn't amazing, but no. To keep that guy in your in your repertoire is nice, mm-hmm. and people seem to like him. But for some reason on Twitter, I don't know if you saw it too, people were like ripping the move to get Todd Frazier. I think it's just funny because he's back in New York now, and we yeah. got to see the Little League World Series picture and all the crap. But I, yeah. I'm I'm laughing over here that Todd Frazier's a Met again. I said that yeah. Adrian, Adrian Gonzalez just got a call as well. <laughs> he played like nine games for the Mets. They were like, no, you need to retire, buddy. He was like, yeah, you that's right. it. That's it.
1: You're done. <laughs> and, and don't forget about uh, Miguel Castro too. They picked him up and he should be uh, getting some uh, high leverage spot from the bullpen. It's, it's great. You know, the Mets actually went out and addressed their needs. They had a need at ca- catcher. They needed a, uh, a need at corner infielder because J.D. Davis might be hurt. And they went out and got a reliever because their bullpen's uh, hot garbage. Look at that. You try to improve How your team about You're going to try to make the place. How about that? That's crazy. It's such a wild concept. Uh, to me as a Yankee fan, to see your team try and improve.
0: Yeah, they had a hole-up backup catcher, and their bullpen's trash. And that's what they tried to go for. And apparently there were some other catchers that were in the market here that they didn't end up getting. I forget the name off the top of my head now, but a guy in Chirinos, like, you probably know him better than me, but a guy who's been around the block has some sneaky pop, and you you said this, not me, but he, people like throwing to him. That's a good yeah, thing. Yeah, he's,
1: he's great with the pitch step. He was they, they loved him in Houston. Uh, I know Garrett Cole raved about him, and I know Justin Verlander loved throwing to him. And He was a you know the, the Astros picked him up twice for a reason. Like he he was in on the team in 2017, and they picked him up uh, last year again. You know because the guys love throwing to him, so I think he could bring. A little bit of that presence to uh, to the Mets staff, and you know, be just be an overall positive, kind of like how Eric Kratz is doing uh, with the Yankees,
0: right? And do you know much about the Miguel Castro guy? Because I, I saw some strikeout numbers that were really great in his favor, uh, but I haven't, yes. I have never seen a pitch to be quite
1: yeah, honest. Yeah, no, he's the Baltimore guy. Um, you know, he, again, the strikeout numbers are definitely there. I, I think he'd be a little wild um at times you cannot, not, i don't know basically he's supposed to be the good version of dylan batanzas he strikes out a ton hmm. of guys you know he sometimes just loses control just out of nowhere so um, so it's a, be a little weird but again you have another just another option out of the pen better than uh you know the, some of the some of the other guys that they were throwing out there uh during the series with the yankees so at least it's it's at least a name okay and i'm not i'm not saying he's gonna be the answer, but I, I think it's just a, a name and just, you're just upping the talent level. Right. You know, Help and that's all you can do really in the right direction. Improve, the margins,
0: improve right. the margins. Anyone that helps push them in the right direction, whether one step or five steps is, is a win. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that sounds yeah. good. And, and you know what? I didn't really know what the Mets were going to do. I didn't expect anything too splashy, which nothing was splashy yeah. outside of the Todd Frazier. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> no, obviously that's, not. Um, so that. I didn't expect too much flashiness out of the Mets here, but it was really nice to see them go for something. Like you said, now on the flip yeah. side, and we'll and we'll segue into the Yankees here. They didn't go for anything in this particular moment, and, and I know you're frustrated. I know Alex frustrated. And yes, there is a, a a lane for you guys to get better naturally when health comes back to your side. But how, as a fan, are you? Say, I I told you this. Do your absolute best job to rationalize not making any moves at the deadline. Go. How would you do it? Like do just even if it, you don't even if you don't believe it. Just tell me I'd how say, you could I'd, rationalize I would,
1: it. I would give. I would give the same lines that Cashman has been giving, uh, to, I, basically giving that the health, getting healthy guys back is basically the same thing as as making a trade. And Brian Cashman is not somebody who overpays for 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 marginal for for upgrades. He just doesn't do it. He you know he's not a person that puts all his chips in. He's not someone who will lose a trade even you know even if it. it not even the appearance of losing a trade he won't he just won't do it so he's not he's not the type of guy to overpay to trade a Clark Schmidt for uh Clevenger or you know for some for Lance Lynn or somebody like that someone that could it could instantly backfire like Lance Lynn's been doing great but he could come in and he could suck and then you're saying we trade Clark Schmidt and Clint Frazier or Miguel Ian like you'll look bad on the trade just Cashman just doesn't do that so um, you know, you got to wait for that. My rationale would be you wait for guys to get healthy and you, you know, you don't overpay for, for, uh, someone who could only be a marginal upgrade.
0: Right. And I mean, that's a, that's a good job. And I know you don't believe in every single thing you just I said. Don't, I, but I don't
1: believe a word. I just said that, that, that like that's
0: good though. Like that checks out to me. And that's why, you know, you Yankee fans are obviously super frustrated with Cashman as a non Yankees fan. I mean, I just trust that guy. Like, it seems like even he, he doesn't waver in a moment of uh, uncertainty, he doesn't overreact and try to do something. And, and we have too many franchises in this in this state or in this tri-state area, with Jersey, with the football teams, mm-hmm. who do overreact and do say, "Oh my gosh, like we need to have a name to put on the Knicks, uh, you know, billboard. We need to sign seven power forwards right now." Like the the Yankees have never been that team, and it's something that has allowed you to do some of the things you do. When the I, I, when the moment comes to turn, time.
1: see, see, I see, I get that. I 100% get that as an outside looking in, but this team, there is, there the window's wide open. There is no better time to win a championship. At some point, you have to put your chips in and say, I'm all in. I'm trying to win a championship here. Look what, again, uh, I'm not saying they need to follow the Red Sox, uh, you know, plan. The Red Sox, you know, they'll go all in. And then, guess what? They'll win, they've won championships. Last 10 years, they've won four championships because they've gone all in. Yeah, they've sucked. They suck now and they're missing the playoffs of one of the worst teams at baseball, but they have the rings. The Yankees, they've been marching. We, again, we're talking 11 years now since the last time the Yankees were were in the World Series and won the World Series. You know, at some point, you have to put push the chips in, say, I'm all in. I'm trying to win it to the goal. The goal is to win the championship. The goal is not to be competitive with the New York Yankees. You're always going to be competitive. You have to win championships at the end of the day. And just like, uh, Cashman just doesn't just doesn't want to do it. just doesn't want to make marginal upgrades. You're telling me out there. you're telling me that there's nobody out there that's better than Mike Ford that that you could that you could have went and got there's no one better than Brooks Krisky that who's <laughs> <was> throwing me <laughs> uh, sounds anybody,
0: like a you, fake you, name i yeah, <laughs> i don't even know it
1: sounds like a created player name i don't you, know who like that a, is it sounds like a created player, <laughs> like player name you wouldn't you have never heard the name brooks Krisky before <laughs> I, before i mentioned him on this podcast. i'm looking
0: on their, so, their hey? roster just so i could see how the hell you spell it oh brooks crisky yeah. here you go just how it sounds Christy. yeah yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. Chris, he,
1: he's been pitching he's been doing a ton of high leverage energy. uh he's got a 20 ERA
0: just in case you didn't know <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> and uh nick nelson and ben heller and all these guys and, and louis Avalon, who got uh, dfa and released like all these guys are pitching important things because aaron boone uh you know a, a cashman doesn't want to go out and, and get marginal upgrades like you're telling me archie bradley's not better than any of these guys so you, you tell me you're not going to give up at least a little bit to get archie bradley archie bradley's great you know he's not he's not again he's not uh uh, uh, you know he's not going to be the closer, but right. you know, he's a he's a better seventh inning option than what they have now. And yeah. You tell me you couldn't get you couldn't get him, you couldn't get uh, um again an upgrade over over the trash that they have there pitching in the sixth seventh inning at the moment. And, and you know Canley's going down with Tommy Juristri. He's not coming back. You can say oh we're you know we're trying to weather the injury storm. There's a guy that guy's not coming back. Luis Severino wasn't was never coming back. So you, right. you needed some kind of upgrade at any place and somewhere. Anywhere,
0: and, and it anywhere. feels good that they brought up the young guy in Davey Garcia, right? But uh, m- my, my comparison here, my analogy for you, and let me know if you agree with this or not, mm. is until last year, the Raptors, right? They mm. were super competitive. 60 wins mm-hmm. almost regularly with DeRozan and Lowry. Uh, conference final appearances, some nice little playoff runs, but always came up short uh, because they didn't have that super top-end talent and obviously baseball is different from a roster standpoint, mm. but they didn't have this super top of net talent. They would get beat by LeBron, et cetera, et cetera. We all know about that. Last year, Masai Jiri and Nick Nurse and the Raptors said, DeMar DeRozan's great. We love you. We're really sad to send you out of here, but we have an opportunity to completely change our trajectory, and we're going to take that chance. Yep. That risk gave them a ring. Very simple, right? Yep. And whereas LeBron teams over the past 10 years have proved to us that they say, we have LeBron, we have a chance to win a ring, we're doing whatever the hell it takes, even if it completely leverages the future of our franchise Mm -hmm. when he leaves. Now, the Yankees have been more like the Raptors before Kawhi Leonard for the past like four years, where they've been really good, nice story, good talent, some players who you really, really love, but there hasn't been a super commitment to the ultimate goal. And the way you and Alec talk about Boone, and obviously you guys just watch more Yankees games than me, but I like to observe what you guys say consistently, is that Boone is still uh, managing like it's 162. And you can't do that because every game means so much more. And you said the division thing doesn't matter as much you still need to be or really want to be in that division. A higher,
1: Yeah, or, or at least a higher seed into the playoffs. You and don't want to have to play the Astros or somebody else in the first round or the A's in the first right. round. You don't want to have to, so you don't have to do So if the that. front
0: office and and the manager of this team aren't showing the true commitment to the, the highest end goal championship, it's hard for fans to stay super positive. And that's why I get why you guys are all pissed right now. It's like give us something to to grab onto to hope for, other than Aaron Judge coming back from injury, where you know we're gonna get lied to again about what his injury is, and he'll be back on the IL.
1: Uh, so bad, and and you know, and and I will say that Garrett Cole was supposed to be you know supposed to be that guy, that main guy to come in, but then you know he's pitching well, but he's still again he's still giving up the most home runs in all of baseball for, for a start for a pitcher, and uh, you know going back to a year a year ago from now, the only major move that the Yankees made is bringing Garrett Cole and that's it and they let depth pieces go they let dd ro they let dd go they let patens go they even let uh austin romine go and, and um you know just got uh, cameron Maven. cameron Mabin would be an upgrade over mike talkman at the moment uh, and they didn't even go out and get him they, you know he got traded to the to the cubs today i do you know? chuckle so just,
0: between the difference of your hate for talkman and alex love for talkman it's very it uh, makes me laugh cuz you guys have a uh, very different he, he, called, he, <laughs> called a clint, he
1: called me a called me a clint fraser stan uh, you know, last last podcast, he's a Mike Talkman. I'd much rather like,
0: die on the Clint Fraser Hill than the Talkman Hill. I, I just, no, like, you know, Talkman ceiling is just so much lower. No, Am no, he's he's a,
1: he's a he's a fourth outfielder that doesn't run the bases well. He plays defense. He de- plays defense and hit singles. He's a fourth outfielder that strikes out as much as Aaron yeah. Judge does and has zero power. He has for he some has some reason, five some, for some reason he's batting Yeah, and for some reason he's he's batting lead off and he's batting like mm-hmm. five or six. Doesn't yeah. make any sense
0: to me. He has he has five doubles in uh, you know sixty five at bats, and that's his yeah. on, Those are his only extra base hits. Yeah, uh, he Clint, singles. Clint Frazier has four doubles and three home runs in forty at bats. I mean, yeah. si- simply Fraser's bat has so much more life to it just just give the guys exactly and,
1: and and you know and you you were to think that uh, and everyone was saying that clinton is the best outfielder he was recovering from a concussion you see him making he's making great plays out in the
0: he outfield like that a second Orange's baseman great... on that play you know what the yeah. one i'm talking about he looked like a little second base yeah. in the hole yeah he so, so, soon... <laughs>
1: stopped the he stopped the single from going to to be a double he's soon, uh, I think soon was, the shifts I... are
0: going to be so crazy that second baseman will be playing next to the right fielder out there just have four yeah. outfielders <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, they, they they've been doing the. I think the Yankees did a, a did a thing where they were, had uh, had five infielders and uh, two outfielders. At uh, they did that a couple times. When, I believe. Uh, I think it was like Talkman and Hicks out there a, a couple times. Guys that can at least cover some ground. And again, I I think Talkman's a a, a fine fourth outfielder on on a good team. But there's no way he should be getting as many at-bats that he's getting right now. There's no way he should be batting in the lineup position. Him and Mike Ford. Why the fuck is Mike Ford? Sorry. Why <laughs> no, the fuck is Mike Ford still this. batting? Why is he still batting third? He's batting third tonight. Why are the Yankees And the Yankees are down 5 nothing. Oh, great. Because Mike Whoa! Ford's batting third because he's – He oh, needs oh. some milk. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, sorry. I Just between you and the Yankees right now, y'all needed some milk right there.
1: <laughs> yeah. He needs, y'all need some milk. And, like, Oh. It, you know, it, like it, you're wondering why the offense is sputtering, and Mike Ford, Mike Ford's hitting third. What? Let me check Mike Ford's. Stats what What right, happens is, second. and as you look buck, that up, he's, let batting me,
0: buck, he's batting a buck. 85. And, buck eighty five. Buck eighty five, he's still batting third. What happens? Yeah, I dude, I feel you. It's tough, but what happens with a team like the Yankees and guys like Ford, Talkman, et cetera, They have these moments where they are the seventh, eighth, or ninth guy who you'd expect winning efforts from in a lineup, right? Where the team, like, for example, last year, Mike Ford comes in, hits some home runs, great hype, great excitement. You're like, this guy came in, wasn't afraid, did the job, did more than we even expected. Wonderful. When you ask guys like that to now be those dudes consistently, you it doesn't always work. And it's the same concept yeah. for, um, and, and I, I, it's just easy for me to make these basketball analogies, but That's if you That's got fine. somebody Go who's like a seventh or sixth man on a team who's averaging 18 points and playing against the other guy's bench and getting most of the shots he wants because he's not playing with other starters, and then you put him in with the starting five with the stars on the team, like there's a good chance his numbers go down, his efficiency goes down because he's not u- doing what he's used to doing. It's the same concept on mm-hmm. the flip side with somebody who comes in for, you know, a pinch hit or uh, a, you know, a, a spot start. You ask those guys to do too much, and this is what you get.
1: Exactly. And the and thing is like, yeah, Mike Ford still hits lefty, but he's not, he's just not hitting at the moment. And you can't continue to to force him in the number three spot just because he's a lefty. And that's, that's like the crazy thing. I hate that Aaron Boone does like the most. Like he just bats an inferior hitter in the three spot to break up right. just because he, just because he's a, uh, he's a lefty bat. He's done it his entire career as a Yankees manager. Didi Rory is batting between judge and Stanton because reasons, you know, <laughs> you know? And it's—I think that's part of the reason why, like, I wanted them to get Bryce Harper last off season is because, like, he's a lefty bat that he like, can actually that actually justifies batting between like the best hitters in baseball.
0: I mean, nothing's better uh, than when Brett Gardner bats fourth in between Judge and uh, something like just, that. Oh my it's just like, God. what's going on here? Oh, you know,
1: and and unfortunately, like the Brett Gardner, uh, you know, experience I think is coming in. He's just not. He's not hitting well. He's not even his his defense is starting to slip a little bit. So I honestly think it's like his last year here. His arms, almost, good-
0: his arms almost his arms almost entering Johnny Damon realm. Yeah. Ch- just straight lefty yeah. chicken wing from left yeah. field.
1: <laughs> yeah, so, so it's a it's good news for for Clint Frazier who turned in from a, you know, a trade piece to looks like starting outfielder of the future now yeah, with his, his great start now, i'll i'll talk for another i know i know we're always supposed yeah, to be we're, going we're, for a we're half about
0: hour. we're about right we're we're just over two minutes over right now That's
1: so what, so allow me to uh my my six page essay here on why quint fraser is uh the best <laughs> i'm best just gonna, I'm gonna lay out Yankees, here i'm gonna so mute
0: just, and you just go for another 30 minutes okay <laughs> Drop you out of the Zoom the, call. The,
1: the, 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 the play, the play your stage music from the Oscars starts playing. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> I need to, Actually, you know what? That's going to be a really good uh, drop to add to my little soundboard over here. The Oscar mm-hmm. music. Somebody's just going too long. Duffy needs the Oscar music. I don't know if he knows mm-hmm. it, and he's obviously not on uh, our Zoom call right now, but hopefully he listens to this episode tomorrow and hears that. Occasionally, I'm going to have to hit him with the Oscar music. <laughs> There's five of us out here trying to talk hoops. We're all trying to get our points, and I'm like, Duff, let's go. Oscar music. That's a great Let's call go. by you. Um, all right, let me just ask you this final question on baseball. Um, obviously, the Padres made the big move of getting Clevenger and they've been rolling. Their offense is just hitting dingers left and right. It's very impressive, very fun to watch. Um, is there anything to note with the Padres and their basically matchup with the Dodgers? and be, I don't overall general vibe of, of baseball right now, of like who the best teams are, who are the most fun teams, teams that you're definitely, you know, checking their box score every night. If you're not getting to watch them or something like that.
1: Yeah. I mean, the Padres getting Clevenger was the biggest move of the deadline. Right. And now they have, and now they have two, you know, frontline starting pitchers and him and Paddock to, to go up against uh, Kershaw and Bueller, who I think just hit the IL for the, for the Dodgers. So, I mean, they're not that far behind. Uh, uh, actually, they are. So, even though San Diego's twenty-one 21-15, the yeah, Dodgers are still good. great. Dodgers, Dodgers still have an insane death. There's 26. They're five games out. But, I mean, the I think San Diego, I think it's the second best record. Yeah, it's second best record in the uh, NL. They're in second place. And they're damn fun, bro. They're damn they're fun. They're damn yeah, fun. They got, oh, there's so much Machado's fun. Machado's
0: raking. The- we all know what Tati's yeah. been doing. Oh, yeah. boy. Even you, Eric,
1: even Eric, even Eric Hosmer's hitting. You know who I've loved weird.
0: to see the highlights of uh, at the mm. Padres this year? Will Myers, man. When that guy yeah. hits a bomb, it is about as nice yeah. as anyone in the league. And he, with no no batting gloves, just mm. monstrous high fly ball bombs. I love to see yeah. it sometimes.
1: And I, I, and of course, I like the Rockies. Uh, I like watching their offense too. That's great. thing. I mean, they're pitching. It's always one or the other. Uh, they're pitching and they're just great and their offense sucks or their offense is, uh, you know their offense is lacking their pitching was great for a couple of years and now now their their pitching has kind of just gone to the tank but uh, blackman is uh, still hitting the snout of the ball is f- so much fun to watch uh they're a great offensive team to uh to continue to watch play so i'm watching them i'm watching the dodgers watching the padres watching the basically i'm watching the whole NL all the, yeah, the padres are yeah,
0: like top top notch uh baseball viewership right now and, they're they're looking and, great and to Oak, watch
1: and oakland has been sneaky good yeah. oakland has been
0: so that was going to be my last question. I was going to say, who's the uh, AL team that catches your interest, maybe scares you when the Yankees are at their best. I, it's I, think,
1: I, think, I think the Oakland A's, the Oakland Athletics are the team that scares me the most right now as a Yankees fan. And I mean, aside from Tampa, cause they just can't, they just can't freaking beat Tampa. Yeah. They're going lo- to lose right now. They're going to be, uh, they're going to be one in seven versus Tampa for the, for, for the season right now. They just can't beat them for whatever reason. Garrett Cole, Terrible against Tampa. He hasn't beat them in his entire career. That's you know, insane. It's great. It's, it's, That's it's real great. It's, it's, it's fantastic.
0: <sighs> All right, Andrew, that was great, though. Great emotion out of you. Great stuff in general. Great energy. Good talk. Mets, Yankees, a lot to turn around for both squads. Uh, Yankees still in a good position to, to flip this thing around as far as a standings standpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Mets in a tougher one, obviously, but m- paths for both teams to start to get things on the right track. Uh, obviously the Yankees will start with getting healthy because they need that more than anything. Andrew Kalania, Subway Sports Talk. Thank you, as always, for talking baseball with me. I'm sure we'll have you and Alec back soon to do a full yep. episode. But for now, have a good one, brother. Go enjoy the rest of your night.
1: Take it easy. You can uh, follow me on Twitter at underscore Swarles Barkley for the definitive ranking of Big League Chew. Spoilers, oh. it's great. <laughs>
0: That's good to know. And actually, I, I'm, I'm privy. I've seen the list already. And Grape Man slaps. That's oh, it's it.
1: That's oh, the best.
0: All right. Andrew Kalanya, everybody. It, Thank you.
1: Take it easy, man.
0: All right. Well, it's time to switch gears here a little bit. As baseball goes past the halfway point, and they're sneaky getting close to the playoffs. I can't even really fathom it. Because of what's happening in basketball and the excitement that's happening in the NBA right now, and we're in the playoffs, it made me forget that baseball is getting so far ahead and that football starts next freaking week, which is insane to my brain still. But nonetheless, we have first-round matchups still going on. We have second-round matchups that are heating up and and getting going. And we have the NBA Outsiders, or at least part of them, here with me today. First off, John Lucas Duffy. What up, dog?
2: Edie, what up, what up, bro? I'm excited for the second round, man. We got a little taste of it today. I'm looking forward to more. That's what I'm saying. And last but not least, Kyle Anderson. What's up, dude?
3: Yeah, what's going on, guys? I'm, uh... You know, just as excited as you guys are, you know, nice to get a little taste of, of the playoffs again. And, uh, you know, it just keeps getting better and better, I feel like. For real. So,
0: and I, I wanted to just to get you guys in here before I ended up soliloquying for four minutes or something like that. But there is a lot of action right now in the NBA, right? It's, it's hard to deny and... For, you know, somebody with as X amount of hours in a day, it's hard to, you know, keep up with your baseball team, prepare for your fantasy draft, and watch some of these awesome games that we're getting to see, uh, whether it be the Nuggets, Jazz, uh, the Heat Bucks, which, you know, finished just before we started recording here. The Rockets Thunder on right now. It's still a close game in the second half. It is electric. I mean, all the power to what they're able to accomplish on the court. The on-court product has been awesome. So, without further ado, let's get into some of this on the court stuff that we're that we're seeing here. And I think it's a good place to start with the Heat and the Bucks as they just played game one of their round two series. And the Heat won, man. They and they didn't just win. They competed from start to finish and ended up, you know, winning by did they win by double digits? I forget. They almost double yeah, digits. By if eleven. They, they won by eleven. And it was closer than that for sure. But they came out with plans that they stuck to, with energy that we knew they would have and just this edge and toughness that we all kind of expected. And now, if I'm not mistaken, a couple of us picked the heat to win this series. And I don't know how you know crazy it was at the time, but after game one, we must be feeling pretty good. Duff, I'll go to you first as you were on the side of people who picked the heat to win this series. What did you see in game one? Speak on it,
3: Duff. Speak on it, Duff. Tell them, tell them how we
2: picked it.
0: Did you pick it too, did. Kyle? Did you also pick the heat? Yes, I, think Frank I, yes, did, I did too. We all I think did. I did. Did your brother did. was the only one...
2: Yeah, and um, he, like, I'm not sure how much he believed that. He was just, it seemed like he was kind of just trying to be uh, a, a little, like, kind of hedge the bets a little bit. You know, there's always got to be one person on the panel that goes the other way. Yeah, it's but, just what it is that's crazy to even say out loud that he hedged the panel by picking the Bucks the best team
0: in basketball this year. <laughs> like, what? Yeah,
2: <laughs> yep. Well, anyways, number continue. one record, like, number, I think number one defense. Uh, yeah, it's, it's crazy that he's, like, hedging out. Like, they're the underdog, but... I mean, we saw it in this first game that the Heat are no joke, man. And I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, it's a lock that they're going to win the series or anything like that. But what I will say is they played with so much more energy and they were so much more aggressive uh, from what I saw than, than what the Bucks were laying down out there. And I, I think a lot of that has to come from coaching and just kind of the mindset that these players come into the game with when they, you know, what kind of leadership do you have? and you know, Jimmy Butler for as much as we killed him on this podcast for the last couple of years for bad attitude, things like that. It's just, it, it's kind of, uh, his mindset reminds me, it's, it's like Michael Jordan-esque in the one episode of, of the last dance, the episode ends where Michael Jordan, you know, he, he's talking about whether people consider him to be a bad guy and, you know, mean or whatever. And he's just like, I, you know, there's, I hold my teammates to a certain standard. And it's the same standard I held myself to. And I would not ask anyone to do anything I wouldn't do. And if you don't want to play that way, then don't play that way. And Jimmy Butler comes with that same energy. And so does Pat Riley. So does the entire Heat organization. I just felt like they were the more aggressive team and they got the jump on the Bucks, who, who were not ready for this street fight.
3: Yeah, I really think that the Heat took over, you know, Jimmy Butler's, you know, just mindset. You know, at the end of the day, you know, they, you could tell they play with a lot of energy. A lot of toughness. They decided, you know, they they got back on defense and really made it a point to, you know, stop Giannis and his his opportunities in transition to get easy buckets. You know, they um, you know, hit big threes today. You know, as opposed to you know, I think that was that was one of the matchups that I was most eager to see was if their you know big guys that shoot threes, if they were going to be able to hit threes at you know to the Bucks defense that is really, you know, uh, predicated to stopping the, you know, easy layups or easy twos. And obviously today it won't, won. And, you know, Jimmy Butler just getting 40 today in a playoff high in game one really set the tone for the rest of the series. I'm not saying it's going to be a cakewalk the rest of the series or, you know, it's going to be a sweep or anything like that. But, um you know, they definitely set the tone for here on out that it's going to be a battle for sure.
0: I and mean, what, what else can you say about the Heat? Uh, like, they... I think I said this right in the open. They come with a plan, and they play their ass off. And you really can't ask much more for any franchise in the league. Stick to your plan, and they have a coach where you trust their plan, and just play your ass off. And that's exactly what they do. They made Middleton and Giannis's life basically hell at certain points where they are collapsing. And I thought Stan Van Gundy was so good calling this game because he was calling things out that I just wouldn't think about and the Bucks are now known, as Zach Lowe talks about it all the time, as this team who gives up threes. They're saying, you know what? You know, we're going to let your worst shooters or your not-as-talented shooters on the, on the court right now take these threes, and we're going to not let you get to the rim. Well, the Heat were able to take those threes. They made some of those threes. And with guys like Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo and even Goran Dragic, they were still doing their thing in the paint. I think they had over 30 points in the paint at some point, like midway through the second half, which is already really good. So... They not only took what the Bucks gave them, but also made it hard to for the Bucs to do what they normally do. And it was really impressive. Now, I don't know if we're going to be feeling the same way after, you know, a couple more games in this series. The Magic won game one against the Bucks too, and this is obviously not that. But the Bucs now, just like the Nuggets, need to sack up. It's time for them to not be cute anymore. It's time for them to not, uh, you know, talk about defensive play of the years and MVPs and all this stuff. They need to figure it out. And if they don't figure it out, Giannis now becomes what James Harden is. He now becomes what Dirk was for so long as a guy who didn't work in the playoffs. And I, I don't want to go there yet. I'm just saying, if they don't figure this out, Budenhoser and Giannis have that label right on their head.
2: I just want to, before we move on to Celtics-Raptors, I just want to throw some quick numbers out for the people. Um, this was an 11-point game. That that was the difference, 11-point differential. So, the Heat shot 27 free throws. They went 25 for 27. The Bucks shot uh, 14 for 26 from the foul line. So, literally wow. 11 points difference at the foul line. Giannis was 4 for 12 from the foul he line. He went what? Like, it was terrible. That's what I'm saying, bro. He Like, 4 for 12? You're supposed to be an MVP. And... Man, like down the stretch, he wasn't even making them. Shaq's, you know, classic line when he always talks about he he never. People oh, always say, stuff. yo, you never made free throws. He made them when they count, you know. I made them when they counted. So yeah. even if he made them in the fourth quarter, you keep this game close, you know. And it's just the the Heat. They only made se- they made seven threes like halfway through the second quarter. They had twelve for the whole game. So maybe they scored five in the second half. But they they made three threes in a row down the stretch. I think it was Jimmy Butler twice and Tyler Hero once. Yes. And then the um, the uh, the Bucks, Chris Middleton. He had 21 in the first half. He had seven points in the second half. Like they just did not finish this game, and they had no adjustments, no answers for the defense. The the Bucks were thrown at them. Like bam out of bio, Jay Crowder. They defended their asses off against Giannis tonight, who only scored 18 points. You know, you're holding the MVP under 20 points. You better fuck. You better win that game. Like that's that's just a stellar effort on the defensive end.
3: Definitely. And I th- and I think Giannis is kind of meeting his match athletically, you know, against the Heat, you know, guys that can guard him and stay in front. Yep. And, uh, you know, I, I just think that just because his his offense is so generated off of transition stuff and he needs a point guard, which we've talked about, a point guard to create shots for him and not, you know, worry about driving from the three point line. He, uh you know, it's kind of kind of hurting him. So.
0: Absolutely. And I appreciate Chris Middleton and we are moving on to the next game here, but I just need to say it about him. He needs to be a creator as well. Like his shooting, I almost don't care about. I told Duffy and Kyle this before we started recording. If he shoots two for 10 from three, it happens. Like you don't hit all your shots. If he has a couple good games shooting, it'll, it'll flip it. But if he's not creating for his teammates and not taking ball handling pressure off of Bledsoe, off of Hill, off of Giannis, then, then their offensive outlook looks a lot more glim. So Middleton's the linchpin here, right? Is that the the, the guy who like controls it? That's yeah, the right. Holds point. it together. Okay. That's the, I thought I had the right word there. Um, He's really important to what he can do, not just scoring. You know, if he had six assists in the second half tough, those seven points wouldn't have felt so bad, but he wasn't getting it done on multiple facets of the game. Can't wait for game two heat bucks. All right, let's move on to the next round two series. That game one was very different from heat bucks. It was kind of a blowout, but. The, uh, not the difference between the, the Bucks and the Raptors, but what I expect from the Raptors is losing by 20 doesn't knock them down. They are so even-keeled. They're so confident with what they do. You could easily see them coming back in Game 2 and putting a way better effort uh, forward here. But Duff, I'll, I'll let you go first because I, I frankly didn't watch a lot of this game. I missed like a bunch of it, but it was already over, so I didn't care. Um, what did you see out of the Celtics specifically, and how did they— Take over this game so quickly because it was the first quarter I watched, and it wasn't close. And then the rest
2: of the game, it was basically over. Again, it was very similar to the way the Heat played the Bucks. It was a difference in aggression and and like tenacity. It, it really just was like they were playing with more energy. In particular, um Jalen Brown, like he only had 17 points, but he just it was like a really clean game from him, from what I saw, and especially in the beginning the Celtics really came out firing like him and Marcus Smart were all over the place uh, offensively, defensively early in that game. And it didn't help that the Raptors were trying to force feed Pascal Siakam in the post. Like I, I I just don't see why they would do that. Like who, who is the defender that they're trying to isolate in the post with Pascal Siakam? Like I'll take Marcus Smart versus like 95% of the league in the post as, as crazy as that sounds considering he's like six, four, maybe. So that was a outside weird of Kemba. The there's Raptors.
0: nobody to attack in the post, right? Excuse, excuse outside, outside of Kemba, there's no one to attack in the post. You're not going at Tice specifically, not going at Tatum specifically, not going at Brown or smart specifically. That's it, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and Tatum is a much improved defender. Jalen Brown has always been a, a really solid defender. Uh, and he's, and he's so explosive that, the Celtics were out there deflecting every ball in the half court. The Raptors couldn't get in transition at all, and I really loved what I saw from, uh, from like everyone on the perimeter for the Celtics. Tatum, Walker, Brown, they were, they were catching the ball with an advantage. You know, defenders closing out hard against them. So what do they do? Shot fake, go around them, attack the rim, find another advantage for another teammate, or finish at the rim for yourself. That those were really the keys. They were making smart play after smart play and they were really leaving nothing on the table for the Raptors to take advantage of.
3: Yeah, man, I I also didn't get to see too much of it. Um, I saw probably like the first half, but it was just nice to see um, you know, Tatum getting active, you know, defensively on the perimeter, um, you know, attacking the basket. You know, they they mentioned um, you know, Tatum last year would take a tough two, even though he would pump fake a guy or rip and go to the basket, he would take a tough two instead of taking just an extra dribble and getting to the basket and taking contact, getting to the line, and getting easy points. So you can can see he was, you know, obviously he's been working on that since last year, but it was, you know, very effective against, um, you know, a long and athletic uh, Raptors defense.
0: And and Jalen Brown, just, I can't get enough of this guy. He plays with a confidence and energy – that is unmatched with basic, or it is matched with the best people in the league, right? Only the best people in the league play with the consistent effort, energy, and confidence that Jalen Brown plays. And I'm not saying he's as good as some of these dudes, but he's pretty close. And when you take his mindset and combine it with the skill he does have, he's a dude who, when Tatum's not feeling it, you can trust Brown is confident enough to be the dude. When Kem- Same for Kemba. It's like, I I just adore the way Jalen Brown plays the game. Defensively, he'll, re- he'll help rebound. He'll, drive he'll shoot basically any shot and he's at the point now where next year we're saying this is a possibly three all-star team and and jalen brown consistently just taking those steps we likened him to paul george in the past of just the the progression on offense and he's taken it to a level where the energy is matching it times 10 as well and i just love to see it now duff what can the raptors do to change up their their luck here. What what can they do offensively to not just get kind of just stagnancy with what they had this this week?
2: Stagnant, that's the word. They were working too much in the half court. This is a team that loves to get out in transition, great transition numbers. And, you know, actually Ryan Rosillo was on Simmons Pod this week, and he broke down all the numbers from these websites about how the Raptors were terrible in the half court. Uh all season, not terrible but like you know middling average not team Raptors in the half level. court. The Raptors were in the yeah. half court. I'm saying they're
0: not they're, raptor what you would expect of the Raptors.
2: Well yeah, I mean it it just you think of the Raptors as as an elite team and which they are, they've made it this far in the playoffs but they they found a lot of success in transition and that starts with defense. Like they got to get stops on defense. The the Celtics shot 40 or 30 uh, I'm sorry. 43% from 3 and they they were just getting a lot of layups it felt like and you know jason tatum has become a like a legit shot maker from the mid-range last year we would get frustrated with a kyle like you said this year it feels like he's really taking a step forward to becoming one of those legit mid-range shot makers like a Kawhi, like a jimmy butler you know one of those guys who can get it to his spot at any moment and the Raptors got to get easy buckets. They got to get going to the rim. They got to get to the foul line. They got to get Siakam in transition doing that spin move. Um, and Fred Van Vliet did not look good yesterday. He does not like, he's going to get paid this off season. And I was thinking about it. I was like D-, watching Van Vliet during these playoffs, like, and, uh, and in the bubble, like, do I want to pay that guy like a hundred million dollars? And I'm really not sure I do. I'm, I'm very much not sure about it. So there, there's not too much to blame on this game. Um, well, we'll see what happens. You know, Game One, who knows, right? The Magic, perennial Game One winners, and they consistently lose in five. So, and uh, the Celtics last year won Game One against the Bucks, and then they got, you know, the next four they lost. So, right. different teams, different uh, rosters, and we'll see what happens. But I want to get, I want to get to the meaty entree of this mini pod that we're doing for the outsiders here, coming up after baseball, and and I know Kyle's been whipping up something special for y'all. ISO in the last week. We're going ISO Kyle. We got How to talk you know? about the jazz and the nuggets. This man, he's ready to cook, ladies and gentlemen. Here we go.
3: Listen, man. I you know, I I got some pushback when I originally said it, you know, Murray was the best on the team and from from multiple people. Not not I'm I'm not even talking about people on the pod, from everybody. I was telling people, like, look, Murray's the guy. He just, you know, hasn't really had the opportunity yet. I think, I think he's got the talent to do it. So he's proven it. That's it. That's These these last three games, 50, 5, and 6, 42, 8, and 8, 50, 11, and 7. And, you know, we talk about guys that, you know, that are in the 50, 40, 90, you know, range. And we're like, oh, man, yo, know, these guys, you know, these are elite guys in basketball. Well, my man's in the 50, 55, and 90 right now. He's shooting uh let me get my numbers correct there 58 58 and a half from the field 57.4 percent from the three point line and he's shooting 91.3 percent from the free throw line that is insane like you know out of space numbers right now so i think he's always had the obviously always had the ability to do this but it's just you know when Jokic has always been the main guy you know, you're and you're just got on the team. Yeah, you might be hesitant to take these shots and you know, to be the guy that wants the ball. But he wants the ball. He's tougher than Jokic, you, know, you know, as far as just like wanting the ball and making big shots. He plays with passion. You can tell he's the heart and soul of this team. And he's the you know, like I said, he's the best player on the team. Another another like, you know, crazy like stat that I saw, Murley Murray is one of one of two players in postseason history with three straight 40.55 rebounds and five assist games the other one is michael jordan oh. so he is he is in crazy crazy stratosphere right now he's on another planet but you know this is just going to prove that you know unfortunately you know obviously yogic hasn't really shown up as well as murray has but murray has wanted the ball every single night and he hasn't shied away from the moment you know against another good guy in uh donovan mitchell on the other side who's also shooting 50 55 and 90 right now so
2: crazy mitchell's Think also about how it, how good mitchell has been and we're just talking about murray yeah. like that's how right. out of this world he's been it's crazy right. it's crazy. Like, both these both. guys i i texted everyone i was like why do both these guys look like dame lillard right now like the, the, <laughs> make no mistake yeah. the defense in this series has been terrible but you still gotta make the shots like and these Correct. are not these are not gimmies. like both these guys are taking like these weird kind of like dead dribble, like pull, like they're just pulling, they're stepping back like an inch behind the three-point line. Yeah, it's like this, it's like a weird reverse lunge into a three. Like that's so strange. It's very strange. Like you, you consistently see these different types of three-point shots in the league now. It's, 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 it's so fun. Yeah, it's
3: like every, it's like every game breaker. In in uh, NBA Street, <laughs> yes. NBA Jam, Ball when the heat it, you know, when the ball's heating up, like, dude, it's it's ridiculous. Like, you know, some of these shots that these guys are hitting right now,
0: yeah, it really is crazy. And you know, Kyle, you deserve that ISO. I even gave you the music behind it because you need you needed it. It's not that you it, needed bro. it, you deserve. appreciate it. it. You earned it because I here am like a Jokic stand. Like I almost like stand Jokic as much as I stand James Harden. And I I wasn't accepting what you had to say about Murray and about this team and about what you thought could or should happen. And what you predicted slash hoped would happen has happened times 10, yo, know, like crazy. He's been so good. And once again, I was listening to this game uh, in the car on the radio and I had the nuggets broadcast on the radio broadcast. This dude was like laughing when Murray hit the shot. It was a three on one fast break. He had just hit a couple threes in a row. He was at like 40 points or something or something like that at this point already. And, uh, He hits this three, which he shouldn't have even taken. He was, like, sprinting up the court, catches it before the three-point line, bangs home the three, and the play-by-play guy was like, oh, my God, like I can't even believe it. And granted, they're homers and, you know, over the top for their team, but I'm sitting in the car. And for
2: some of the the homerous broadcasters, oh, TV and radio,
0: insane, insane. And I'm rooting Amazing. for the Nuggets in this specific game. And I'm I'm I can't even watch with my eyes. I'm just listening and I'm laughing. Like, oh, he made another shot. Like, what? You're right. expecting one of these to not go in, and he just kept making shots. Insane. He deserves so much credit. I tweeted it before, you know, a week or two ago. Where like, you know, Dame Lillard, Bubble MVP. He's a beast. He deserves all the credit he gets. Devin Booker, Bubble MVP. Whatever. Now it's Jamal Murray's bubble, baby, and no one's yep. stopping him right now. Nobody.
2: It, it man, felt like uh, Kevin Durant, like at the at the Rucker when he played that one time, and he yeah. just kept hitting shots, and everyone was yeah, going like insane. 60... Like that's how everyone yeah. was in their collective living rooms around the country.
3: Yeah, man. he's he's really like on some two K shit right now. Like yeah. it's ridiculous. I really know, want to shout you it's out now ri- because ridiculous.
2: Because you you recognize this like the first game immediately when it happened, like you had your doubts about Jokic. And then as soon as Murray gave you the chance to, to be right about it, like you, you jumped on it. You're like, this is what I've been talking about. Cause make no mistake four or five months ago, Murray was not this guy. And I stand nope. by that, mm-hmm. but you know what? Nope. Kenny Smith talked about it a bunch, uh, you know, a couple people talked about it. Kenny Smith is the one that comes to mind. This break, this was an off season. This was an off season for a lot of young guys. Like we were thinking of rookies. We were thinking of, like, John ja Morant, we were thinking of, you know, Luka Doncic. I wasn't thinking about Jamal Murray. That that was a miss. Like, that's clearly a guy who's, I think he's only 23. And, mm-hmm. you know, people are worried, like, is he Jekyll and Hyde? Why is he so up and down? Blah, blah, blah. Like, he's 23. You know, he just, yeah. he finally, he figured it out. Good for him. Like, th- this is who he is now. Like, I, I truly, like, maybe not 50, 50, well, yeah. 100 or whatever. But, like, right. But something like a 50-40-90, like legit shot maker guy you build your offense around. And now, like, there are a lot of trades in the Sixers world, like, you know, Ben Simmons for Murray and like maybe, you know, like whatever garbage, right? So now that Mm -hmm. trade, like Denver says no immediately. They hang up the phone. He's untouchable at this point.
0: It, it, It really is nuts. And like you said, to expect him to do this may become a burden, right? So if he does have a bad game. What happens but when I was just talking about Jalen Brown with the energy and the effort that he pairs with the talent Murray is not just having a hot shooting stretch he is having an alpha moment an alpha stretch where he is I, I put it on the Instagram subway sports talk Instagram he was putting legitimate superstar performances together he didn't have a random game where he was really hot from three nah he was controlling every single part of of the game, inside and out. And we asked the question, can Murray be the number two Jokic needs? Now we're going to start posing the question, can Jokic be the 1B to Murray's 1A? And I, it could change. In a different series or a different matchup, maybe Jokic takes a bigger role, but it's hard to question Murray's uh, talent right now and what he's doing with that confidence. So, very good start. Guards over centers. Real, real, quick, real over quick, centers. Real quick, game seven picks out of you guys. Game seven picks.
3: Mm. It's, oof. Uh... It's, it's tough. Cause just, just matchup wise. And you know, who's got a ball, our boy, Jokic has the ball. Mm-hmm. I think that's the only way that the Nuggets win. If it's, if Jokic balls and he can, you know, somehow compliment Murray, um, you know, that's the way I see it. And I think for the jazz, Conley has to have a big game, you know, it's going to be the, the, the Robin to the Batman, you know, the, if, if Robin can get it done, you know, for either way, they, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, either team is going to have a shot, but it's going to be between, it's going to be Jokic versus Conley. That's what I think. Cause you know what you're going to get from much from Mitchell and Murray, you know
2: what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. The Mitchell Murray, the Glengarry Gary series we got going on here. I don't know if you guys seen that movie. Yeah. Um, I think I got the jazz here. I just, for some reason, I just trust them a little more. And like, I've been texting with uh, Andrew during these games, my brother, and he's, Man, does he not like Mike Malone? Like it's it's crazy. And he's <laughs> but he's right. Like all those games in game uh I want to say it was maybe it was game uh it was five. five. It was game five. Game, game, they were they're on yeah, three. Game one. five. Mm-hmm. Where they Dozier like closes the game out and you know, he gives great defensive minutes. He's the only one who's like really giving a hundred percent effort on the perimeter defensively. And uh just Millsap being out there, those are dead minutes, man. Him and Monte Morris right now are doing absolutely nothing those guys, and and same thing with Michael Porter he he's a little shell shocked right now with how beat, bad he was getting beat on the defensive end so I, I i don't trust Mike Malone still i really don't like he still was pushing the wrong buttons to me in that game and Murray just shot the team out of it and he just fig- he did, you don't have to figure anything out as a coach if you're making every shot right so right right, right. so you're going Jazz Kyle you picked the Nuggets I'm going right going Jazz
3: yeah, I'm thinking I'm going to go with the Nuggets. I'm riding down with the ship. I like it. I'm riding. Right ride it. or die. Yeah, man. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I'm all, i am got to go with my guy.
0: I'm on a different uh, car in a different lane, but I'm also ride or die with the Nuggets right now, and I'm saying that they're, they're going to win game seven. The momentum's with them. Um, when you could squarely make this series even again after being down 3-1, you have the momentum. I think they have the swagger. And Jeremy Grant is a guy who I want to shout out quick just because He's the one guarding Mitchell on a lot of these possessions, and it's not particularly a great matchup for him because Mitchell's so much quicker. Grant's doing a great job. He also hit a bunch of threes in the last game, which is, I don't know how replicable that is, but nonetheless, shouts to Mitchell for not only being him but also guarding Murray, but I think the Nuggets have just enough firepower now to win Game 7 use that momentum, and they did what we said we did. Sack up, play like men, and don't be this cute little fun offense that you were in the past couple regular seasons. So I'm going nuggets game seven, but now here we are talking about the last series. We're going to talk here and we took a little break. So we knew exactly what happened as this game came down to the wire and the word on the street, the news is we got another game seven ahead of us. The Oklahoma city thunder just beat the Houston Rockets. 104 to 100 led perhaps by Chris Paul, but also led by a dismal play by Russell Westbrook down the stretch in a two-point game where he threw the ball away and threw the game away. Kyle, you know, we were recording uh, through a portion of this game, then we paused and we watched the whole fourth quarter basically right there. 104-100, first of all, sounds weird for a Rockets game, but what did we, what did we see right there? I know your, boss, your boy CP just went off, so what did you see there?
3: Yeah, man. I, I, you know, another example of Chris Paul, you know, taking over and, you know, just being a great leader and hitting big shots, but also you just want to credit, you know, OKC's defense. You know, we were talking about it at the end of the game, saying like, wow, like dude, the Rockets are held to a hundred. Like that's, you know, that's a, just a phenomenal job defensively. And, um, you know, it doesn't seem like, you know, we obviously we caught the end of it. It didn't seem like Westbrook got in too much of a groove. You know, he had a turnover, had a uh, had an air ball at the end. Um, you know, and obviously he's somebody that needs to step up for uh you know for the Heat to be successful. You know, he, he went eight of eight of fifteen and only got 17 points. So that hmm. clearly means he didn't really get to the line too much. And um, you know, if if he's getting to the line, that means he's attacking. That means his, the defense is collapsing, and now he's able to kick out to others. And, um, you know, another another big stat, 3 of 12 with only 9 points, was Eric Gordon, another guy who needs to step up and be in the double digits for sure and should be in the 15- to 20-point range. So, um, you know, just credit to OKC really stepping up and, um, you know, getting it done and forcing a Game 7 here.
0: And, you know, you can't look at a Rockets box score and see you know Harden with 32 and then the next best guys the next best scores on the team with 17 and whatever what Gordon have 9
3: he had like, nine. 9 that's yeah. just
0: not going to cut it bro like it doesn't matter in, in 35
3: if, minutes 35 minutes 9 points
0: yeah you can't take more shots than points he scored it's just that's bad that's right. bad off the jump Russell Westbrook almost did it A- that's rough and i mean like who is this going to fall back on Harden i don't know it probably shouldn't obviously yeah. Russell Westbrook was it the shouldn't.
3: guy It shouldn't. He took the
0: ball. This is also a thing with the Rockets right now, right? So we talk about their ceiling. We talk about what they can be, how they can match up with the Lakers, how they can match up with anybody. What gives us the confidence to say they can play with anybody also gives us the worry that they can lose to anybody. I'm not saying the Thunder are like some slouch team. Obviously not. They're a legitimate, very good basketball team. But that's just the Rockets' M.O., right? Like, they took 44 threes tonight. They shot 34%. They hit 15 or something like that. Like, you know, one right. of Eric Gordon's points I'm seeing on the highlights in the background right now, he hit a three at the end of the half, a fadeaway, like, half-court uh, pass, like, bomb pass to him. He hit it from the corner. Like, that. take away that crazy three he hit. I and mean, my dude had six points. Like, that's, that's ugly mm-hmm. for the Rockets and for him. Uh, so, we get another Game 7. That's incredibly exciting. And about the Thunder, you know, we were talking just before, too, You know, Schroeder with a low-scoring game. Shea Gildas alexander low-scoring game. I think Dort might have actually outscored both of them, which is funny. But then you've got Chris Paul and Danilo Gallinari, a guy who, in this three-headed monster point guard system that the Thunder have, doesn't get a lot of credit all the time. But Gallinari has been a a 20-point-a-game, give-or-take guy, for years in this league and proved it again tonight with 25, where he's a reliable shooter. He can get to the rim. He gets to the free-throw line and makes them. Uh, this is going to be an exciting Game Seven. I don't even know which one's more exciting, but we got Jazz Nuggets and now Rockets under Game Seven to see who goes into the second round. Clippers and Lakers sitting at home, like nice. We got some tired boys coming our way.
3: Oh yeah,
2: I know oh, they get yeah. To, they're gonna have some fresh legs for the next one. I just want to say real quick, I had some te- technical difficulties trying to watch the end of this game. Shout out my Wi-Fi for not coming in clutch. <laughs> me and Kyle giving but, you play-by-play, but not trying to play. Yeah, literally. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you guys trying to describe that Russell Westbrook play to me was just, it was pure comedy. Um, <laughs> anyway, the big the big stat I see in the box score here, which like the Rockets only score 100 points. This is a big reason why. 12, 12 whole free throw attempts they had for the entire game. Mm-hmm. That's something else, man. You're talking, so they they got three free throw attempts per quarter for the Rockets. Like that's crazy. If I told you, man, the Rockets only got 12 free throw attempts, you'd be like, oh, you mean James Harden only got 12? Like, no, <laughs> no, the entire team only got 12. I mean, the Thunder only had 18. That's not that's not really a ton either. I mean, we we're just talking about the uh, the Heat and the Bucks earlier, who both had 25 plus. But the refs were letting them play, man, and and the the Thunder were ready to scrap. And the Rockets just were chucking threes and that's that's the high variant. That's why you got Russell Westbrook. That's why you got, you know, PJ Tucker and Jeff Green and Ben McElmore, Danny Hos like all those guys is high variance. You don't know what you're gonna get. Like you said, Pete, up and down. And it's it was weird to hear a lot of a lot of sports people today. Zach Lowe in particular, he called the Lakers Rockets. He was assuming the Rockets were gonna win this series. They they still could. And move on to the next round. And he said the Rockets versus the Lakers would be a coin flip series. Coin flip series. Like, you're really putting this team up against LeBron and being like, I mean, that's 50. You got a 50 50 shot there. Like, James Harden and this, you know, this, uh, the island of misfit toys over here, the island of misfit <laughs> shooters plus Russell Westbrook. Like, that is not going to get the job done against, uh, LeBron James. Like, I don't even care about anything, Davis. LeBron is not going to lose to that. Like, I don't. I, I don't see them putting up much yeah. of a fight next round. Either team that goes through. And this
0: just goes to show right. of how quickly this stuff changes and how quickly this stuff moves. Before the playoffs started, I heard many people, I how think— How quickly the narrative moves. Yeah, that, that, that's what I'm talking about.
2: It's like—, like it, But teams sometimes can go, like, the Murray thing move fast. Like, that's real. Yes. This, right. The Rockets is always narrative to me. And and what happened even with the
0: Thunder, like, I heard multiple people. I think Bill Simmons included perhaps Zach Lowe as well, Who since you just mentioned those guys. Like, they were saying the Thunder were actually the biggest threat to the L.A. teams. And then they're down 3-2. Now you write them off? Like, nah, this team has resiliency. They have Chris Paul who, like, yo, he does this. And granted, he doesn't always do it at the level in the playoffs in his, you know, in his career. It hasn't happened for him. But you're not counting this dude out. Like, you're just not going to do it. So, I mean, but this is the thing for me. I don't want to, you know, pinpoint one play. But this play, there was no chance that Russell Westbrook was the primary guy on this play. He took the ball in, and I'm talking about the one at the end of the game where he threw it away. Um, he took the ball in from under under the rim. So it was designed, I guess, to go to him. Harden was already down the court. But there was like 12 seconds left. There had to have been time and a plan to for Russell Westbrook to attack, and then you don't have anything? Kick out back to Harden, let him take a step back three, try to win this thing. Like... Russell Westbrook, this goes to show what we've said about him for such a long time now, the lack of awareness, where he just drove with reckless abandon like it was the second quarter in game 42 of the season. It doesn't matter. Like You need to be more calm. You need to be more in control. And, and sometimes Harden's too in control, and maybe I wish he had a little more just like, I'm going to go and get it right now. But th- that was a bad look for the Rockets and a bad look, look for Westbrook right there. But that's it, man. Like, we got we got two Game 7s now in the first round of the Western Conference, and we have talked about how this Western Conference is jam-packed with talent. We're seeing it, even the Jazz, who are not at full strength, right here to win this game. Game 7, we got another opportunity uh, to see great basketball played in the first round still of this, of this playoff. So, we made our picks on Jazz Nuggets already. Uh, I went to Duffy first that time, so Kyle, you're on the spot. Rockets, Thunder, Game 7, who you got?
3: Um, you know what, what, you know, despite, you know, Thunder's valiant effort and, you know, taking it to Game 7, unfortunately, um, I'm the, you know, obviously big CP3 guy, but I just don't think that, you know, Jeff Green is going to give us three points in Game 7. I don't think why, that why, Austin why Rivers... <laughs> what's up?
0: He might give you zero, dude. Come on. don't Right. <laughs> like, I, don't,
3: I don't know if, I don't know if, uh, I hope Austin Rivers doesn't give us you know zero just because i you know he's a duke guy and you know i always root for him so i might i might have to go with the rockets you know i really don't want to i feel like by the end of this you know episode i might change my answer um but uh i really i really don't know but i'm just leaning towards the Rockets for some reason i don't know why
2: I feel they're so up or down, like you, you could see them winning by thirty. You could see them losing by, you know, ten. It's just like right. every. It feels like the Thunder, you know, squeak out every game, and then the Rockets blow the Thunder away. Yeah. Um. I, I'm I'm gonna pick the Thunder. I feel like this is, like this. I don't know about Rockets Lakers Rockets Thunder. That's definitely a coin flip. Uh, as as we can see through three, it's three or through six, it's three three. Uh, I I picked the Thunder before the series. I'm going to stick with the thunder, um, really just for no other reason. That's just kind of, I get bad feelings about the Rockets in game sevens, you know, when it's just, when everything's on the line, trying to hit those threes, I feel like, uh, those, those, you know, role players start to tighten up a little bit. So a little nervous about that
3: before you even go, Pete, uh, I went down with the ship with Murray and I'm going down the ship with CB three. So the thunder, Oh, you switched.
2: Damn.
0: Yep. You literally said yep. that you you might change by the end of the episode. And literally, I was going to yeah. say, Kyle, if you're going to change, you better do it quick because this is the end of the episode. And you did nope. it. So <laughs> I'm changing
3: it right here. Changing it. Yep. There you, there going down go. the shit with Murray and my boy, cb 3 So the, the two guys I probably talk about the most on here besides uh, Jason Tatum. So
0: yeah. Well, uh, I'll take that and I will allow you guys to both be wrong while I'm right. And I'm nice. actually, I'm, so, I'm like, I was it. thinking like you, Kyle, to be quite honest, except I wasn't going to say yeah. Jeff Green and Austin Rivers, I was going to say Eric Gordon and Russell Westbrook. The odds okay. of them playing better than they did today is decently high, right? Like, I know we can get on Westbrook and he could do all these bad things that are frustrating to watch because we know how good he can be. He can turn around and have a really good game. Eric Gordon is going to take his shots again. He's going to take his six threes again. And, you know, he hits one or two more shots, and this is a completely different ball game. I'm going Rockets. I also believe that this would be a much bigger disappointment If the Thunder were, I mean, if the Rockets were to lose this, then if the Thunder were, and that anxiety that will hit Harden, will hit Daryl Morey, will hit Mike D'Antoni, if they get knocked out in the first round with a, you know, MVP caliber star and a second MVP possible player, like, that's going to hit them bad. That's going to be a bad look, and I think the pride comes out to play, and the Rockets are victorious in Game 7.
2: That's it. I just want re- to remind the listeners that uh, I-, I predicted after this season ended that Daryl Morey would be fired. You did.
0: That is correct. Uh, that is correct.
2: So I just want to remind everyone because if they lose their next game, one hundred percent, bet the house. He's gone within like a day.
0: Dude, I mean, we talked about it, so we're not gonna go into it, but it's very possible. And I, I'm I just, just- want a quick reminder. I'm what just jealous mind? of the team that's going to get Daryl Morey because he's a, obviously a fantastic GM. So six whoever's going to get him. Six six yeah, or six or six it would six be six very fitting if Morey actually finished the process for Sam Hinkie. by the way. I would love it. The very poetic fitting. justice. It would be. All right, well, that's it uh, for talk today. We had Andrew Kalania on earlier talking Mets, Yankees, and baseball. Thank you to him. Of course, thank you to John Lucas Duffy and Kyle Anderson. But we're not quite done yet. It is time for... Possibly one of my favorite parts of the show where we go last words. It's usually two hours in. In this specific case, it's only an hour in. Good job by us. Um, but Duffy, I believe I'm supposed to go to you first here, right? Last words for you? Or did you want to go uh, last? I'll go last. I'll go last. All right. So, Kyle, or do you want me to go first? I never go first if you want me to. Yeah,
3: go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead Pete. All right. well, I'll, Rock it
0: out. A guy who we were talking about earlier for his spectacular on-the-court performance in Jamal Murray... Deserves a shout out in another facet of life. This dude, as we talked about, absolutely bald, competed at the highest level possible, and played so damn well that we're ready to call the Nuggets his team. With all that said, right when the game was over and he just was, you know, blood, sweat, and tears on the court, he had not just the wherewithal and mindset to speak on social issues with such eloquence, but he had like the breath and the presence to do it like so nicely. And it, it was really cool because you know how much the game just meant to Jamal Murray when he went absolutely bonkers. And then first thing on his mind after the game of his lifetime was about, um, you know, uh, Brianna Taylor and, and Jacob Blake and, and these social issues that are so clearly important to these players and that just warmed my heart, man. Like, that was awesome. It, it made me sad that there's still obviously so many issues and so many things that are, need to be worked on. But the fact that this guy had the performance of his career, of his life to this point, and then had the confidence, the calmness to speak as eloquently as he did was beautiful. Shout out to Jamal Murray and all the NBA players and coaches alike doing just wonderful social stuff right now.
3: Yeah, man, it's a great shout out. That was that was actually really cool to watch at the end. Yeah, and um, obviously like so moving, and um, you know, I guess it was like terrible news yesterday. You know, find out about uh Chadwick Boseman, Mm. and you know, just someone that obviously really like literally changed the world. You know, just the mindset uh that it gave to certain kids, like you know, seeing a black superhero and seeing someone that they can relate to and also someone that you know was almost the face of every uh you know not every but like most of the really good movies that portrayed you know black figures in American society with you know Thurgood Marshall uh Jackie Robinson um he did uh James Brown um and obviously Black Panther you know um you know just a guy that was an example of someone that was on the screen that looked like, you know, a a black or brown, you know, little kid that could say like, hey, I could, you know, I could do something too. You know, someone that gave like hope and, uh, you know, pride to be an African-American. And, um, you know, and I'm not gonna, you know, I I don't want it to be sad at all. I want it to be more of like a celebration of life for him because, you know, now the next person can take the step and, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, move just, you know, in the right direction for giving kids hope for, you know, doing whatever they set their mind to do. And um just hats off to him and, and the life that he's lived, you know, forty three years, obviously too short, but his forty three years were, you know, probably the most meaningful, you know, in in recent memory, you know, just for leaving an impact.
0: So Absolutely. I mean, and the fact that he hid his, uh, sickness, you know, no one, no one really knew that he right. was sick. You know, obviously I'm sure people close in his life, maybe some of the other Marvel cast members were aware of it or, or whatnot, but you know, he was getting crap for his weight loss. Like people were giving him crap that he looked yeah, so skinny and we didn't yeah, know right. what he was going through from a, a, a health standpoint. And like, it's so cliche, but you don't know what's going on in someone else's head walking in their shoes. And and it's just a, a lesson to be learned about being too quick to judgment. And it's a microcosm of what's wrong with, you know, the social issues we're dealing with today. Like too many people are unwilling to even try to put themselves in other people's shoes. And, uh, you know, if, if, if he could help some people get there and think about life in a different way, I think he did by, by a million. Like he did it so well. He was so just uh, it's sad. To, it's sad to see him go. Like he was just so calm, so much swagger, so much, so much kindness from his heart seemingly like uh, shouts to Chadwick, man. That that, that was, yeah, that was a sad one.
3: Like I, I, when, when, you know, more of those pictures came out, I remember saying to my sister, I was just like, like, I, I really, I, I hope he's, you know, you know, looking like this, you know, this thin, for a movie role, and I hope he's not sick. Right. I remember that's what I said to my sister. And obviously it went up that he was sick. But you know, just the fact that, you know, just you know, besides the 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 somber and sad part about that, like my man really did like say eight movies or something like that with stage four cancer, stage four colon cancer, mm-hmm. and no one knew about it, you know, 15, 15 hour workdays, probably more, and my man was like grinding through it, like just you know just credit to to his perseverance and just you know just honestly just being a tough dude you know
0: absolutely and he was shredded for most of it <laughs> right he
3: was, and yeah, he was, he was not it. he was not looking like how he did you know unfortunately towards the end of his life he was he was jacked man so credit to him yo duff you got it man i'm sorry
2: you got yeah got to shouts to chadwick real quick it was uh my mom actually, when she heard the news, she is, she's not a big movie goer. Like she doesn't know who really any famous actors are or anything like, and she knew Chadwick Boseman was just kind of peripherally. Um, and she, and she was kind of just taken aback. Like, wow, he was so young. And and my mom's a nurse. She works in a, a hospital in New York. And unfortunately she's around a lot of, you know, sick people, you know, whether it be, uh, this, that, or whatever, like terminal illnesses are, you know plentiful and, and places like that unfortunately. and she said, you know I've been around that illness a lot, like colon cancer and it's just like amazing what like all the, I was reading about him and hearing about him on the news, all the stuff he did while he was while he was sick with that is, is really incredible. just uh, it's, it's funny like even someone who, who hasn't really seen his movies can really appreciate what he did and uh, e- even you know hopefully that continues th- uh, and, and resonates through uh, through recent years as, as they come forward. Uh, But just to keep it on another somber note, the basketball world lost uh, like a giant figure in John Thompson, former coach of uh, Georgetown college basketball team. And, you know, I he was a a huge, you know, like demigod figure in in the world of uh, East Coast basketball, particularly Big East basketball. And that's what I grew up watching. That's the conference my brothers played in. And you know, I, my dad would tell me all the time about John Thompson and how, you know, he he would he would always say like, I wasn't a Georgetown fan, but I res- I always respected them. You know, all that stuff about Hoya paranoia and you know, you think it's silly uh, at the time, and everyone made a big joke about it, but it was it was real. Like, and and John Thompson, he took his role seriously as a as a um a role model for young black men who were playing basketball, and it was. It was really inspirational. Even looking back, and you saw uh, the tribute they did on TNT tonight, where everyone was, you know, chilling with the towels on their shoulder. It was, it was a nice tribute, and it was, it was very subtle. And I actually had the fortune of meeting him one time at an Elite Eight game uh, when Villanova actually was playing in Boston. He used to do radio for I forget if it was I think it was CBS um, for college basketball games, and. You know, my dad brought me over there and it was like one of those moments, you're little, it's it's such a small thing, but you'd never forget it. I think I was, I forget if I was 13 or 14 at the time, he brings me over and he goes, you know, you know who that is? And I go, that's, oh, that's John Thompson. Like, cause you know, he'd shown me through, you know, through my youth and I was, and he was like, yeah, like, you want to go talk to him? And I was like, I'm scared. Like all this videos I've seen of this guy and what you told me about him, like, I'm, you know, just a scared kid. Right. And he's like, no, no, come on, come on over. And he introduces me to him and he, and like, my dad doesn't really know him. He just had a break and he just said, Oh, you know, Mr. Thompson, can we talk, coach, can we talk to you for, for a minute? And I got to speak to John Thompson for, you know, two minutes. Who knows what we even talked about. Oh, actually he, he commented that I had a pretzel and he thought it looked delicious. <laughs> and he's like, go get, you know, go get me a pretzel. So my dad, he took me to go buy John Thompson a pretzel and brought it back to him with mustard on a plate. And he was like, so thankful. And he thought it was like the funniest thing in, in the world. Uh, that some, you know, middle school kid he knows had never seen him coach basketball is still, like, yeah. he he took that moment to kind of uh, usher in the new generation of of basketball fans and, and really continue to kind of water that flower, you know what I mean? And it's just something you always appreciate. Like, the great ones are always doing something great for the game, whether it's just a little kid in the stands or some, some player they're coaching, a walk-on, anything. And, uh, you know, he's going to be missed. Just want to shout him out. Just want to shout. Him
3: out. It was it was really cool hearing all the stories about uh about John Thompson and like you know all the you know obviously the rivalries in the Big East and how much of a prominent figure he was and you know and and you know the way that he would talk to his players like PJ Carlesma was talking today on um I want to say Greeny he was talking today and uh, he was saying that you know, like after uh, they they would play Georgetown, he was like, my guys would love me for a week because, you know, he would hear, the players would hear John Thompson talking to his guys. Like, yo, you hear them talking to Alonzo Mourning like that and hear him talking to, uh, you know, Jeem Holloway like that. And you're like, oh my God, I can't believe that. But the things that he would do for his guys off the floor were, you know, just as important and probably more important, obviously more important, as just to, you know, to just learn how to be a man, how, learn how to, uh, you know, realize that basketball is not the only thing that you have, you know, that, that you can contribute to society, you know, and uh, realizing, you know, the importance of, you know, having himself, you know, as, as a father figure, as a, you know, a black role model you know, for some of these players who may have come from, you know, tough situations. And um, it's just, you know, it's obviously so sad he's he's gone, but another guy who just left his mark on college basketball and on society, you know, the right way.
0: And if you want to hear an example of what Kyle just mentioned and, and even what Duffy was saying before, just go watch Allen Iverson's Hall of Fame speech. Uh, Definitely. I mean, yes. That dude was so moved, by John Thompson, even, you know, in hindsight, obviously you can get a little more emotional, remember certain things, but Alan Iverson legit said that like John Thompson in ways like saved my life, man. Like, and, and it, I watched that today. Obviously it was on Instagram today and I watched the whole thing and bro, I was, I was moved. It yep. was, it's tough. It's sad. And uh, it's good stuff. The last words today, obviously a little bit more of a somber note, but um, for great reason, I think to remember some great people and to, you know, continue supporting a movement that I know the three of us all, uh, all ride with over here. So shouts to, shouts to you guys. Duff and Kyle is always like, thoughtful last words, sometimes funny last words, sometimes somewhere in between, sometimes a mixture of all of it. Uh, that's good stuff right there though. But subway sports talk for John Lucas Duffy for Kyle Anderson. My name is Peter Kennedy. Thank you as always for listening today. If you like what you've been hearing, go to iTunes, Apple podcast app, subscribe, Rate, review the pod. We appreciate that greatly. Uh, Got a guest lined up for the end of this week, and then yo, we gotta hit football next week. I I don't know if you guys even like realize this, Kyle. I know you're a bigger football guy like me. Duffy's not a huge football guy, but can you believe that is like a week away? It's insane to my to my brain. I said at the beginning of that episode, crazy to me that it's a week away. But we're getting there. Football episode coming next week. But for now, signing off for Subway Sports Talk. Y'all have a great day.